Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Three out of four people think Ireland has taken in too many refugees. According to the latest findings in a Red Sea poll for the Business Post, we discuss this and the government response shortly. ITV has insisted it has no plans to scrap this morning, the popular daytime show. But can the show recover following Philip Schofield's shock exit? We get the expert view on toxic workplace culture. We all know we happen to be in the news at the moment, and of course we appreciate that. But just from both of us and the whole team here, the crew, the guys downstairs, uh, we love making this show for all of you. Yeah, we really do, and that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to continue to do that. And later, older people lead the way as Active Retirement Ireland launches a mental wellbeing programme. As always, you can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. in four people believe that Ireland has taken in too many refugees, according to the latest Business Post Red Sea poll. After the arrival of almost 100,000 people in the space of a year, the poll findings found that a similar large majority of people say they appreciate the anger that people feel about asylum seekers being moved into their local area. But for more on this now, I'm joined by columnist Terry Prone, Business Post editor Daniel McConnell, Independent Senator Sharon Keoghan and Fine Gael Senator uh, Martin Conway and via Skype tonight by Lucky Kambule of the Movement of Asylum Seekers in Ireland. You're all very welcome along to the programme. Um, I want to come to you first, Danny, because this Red Sea poll ran in your paper uh, at the weekend. Take us through some of the main findings because the poll sentiment is pretty stark. It is pretty stark and, and I suppose we, we went in I think before I even joined the Business Post, I think they had asked this a question about a year ago, roughly about you know the whole attitude toward the numbers of people coming in. And I think at that stage, it was around 56% had said there were too many people coming in. And obviously when you got the numbers back last Thursday night or Friday morning, uh, and we saw that they were up around 75%, or three and four saying that um, they felt or they agreed with the statement that they're, you know, that Ireland is taking in too many refugees. Um, that's a very stark finding. And then when you kind of add that to, you know, that 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 sense in the wake of the Sandwich Street sort of uh, violence, and then the the issue that you know the, the protest down in Clare, you know, that you know what seventy six percent of people are saying they can appreciate the anger that people feel about asylum seekers being moved into to their area. So, like, without trying to be sensationalist about it, without trying to kind of make something that th this is not, I think we were literally just trying to take the mood of the, the nation in relation to the attitudes of all of this. And I think a large part of it from where w a lot of our analysis, a lot of, you know, when we, you know, conclude in relation to this, it, it, it has a lot to do with the government's handling of all of this. It's not necessarily, I think, to my mind, the attitude towards, you know, the people. I think Ireland has shown a great deal of empathy in bringing in and, and taking in as many people as we have, and I think that's right and proper. But I do think also as well that there is there are genuine frustrations. 
about the government's response to this and the capacity of the state to handle this large influx of people. And I think what I think a lot of people are, are beginning to fear is that if even if you ask questions around this, you're almost jumped upon and accused of all sorts of things. And I just think we have to be very careful about how we discuss this. I think we should be upfront about the discussions about how people are, are concerned. We saw pro we've seen protests all over Dublin, and we've seen protests all you know in other parts of the country. Um, and I think we've largely shown ourselves to be a very tolerant and welcoming country. And I would not like to see an end to that. But I, what I would like to see is an upfront and honest conversation from the government and, and kind of moving people in at the you know the dark of night, you know, without consultation with localities or local leaders and stuff. You know, this is where you know, when, where vacuums occur. This is where anger. Uh, and kind of frustrations. See, and some people would take issue even with the phrasing of consultation, that it's more about communication, that really you can't dictate who, who lives in your area or who's moved into your area. No, yeah, I, but, no but I, I also do think, though, as well, Claire, that if, for example, you are a, a local resident and you have concerns about, you know, you already have might have concerns about, you know, the, the, the supports and the kind of the state's kind of running of the system in your local area and all of a sudden, you you know, this happens. Mm -hmm. It may be it may be ill conceived. It may be wrong. But I mean, if if all I'm, all I'm saying is if you know people are not told something, it feeds into that vacuum. And this is where you do get far right groups, you know, kind of whipping up, you know, kind of anti migrant sentiment, and gaining traction in in local communities. It, there's no there's no coincidence that it, you know it, um, in some of the groups, you know, when you look into the underlying demographic data in in the poll, that it's in more working class areas and it's in more deprived areas mm -hmm. where where sentiment is being whipped up. And that's uh, and that these and all we're simply trying to do is reflect yeah. the sentiment out there. Uh, uh, Danny mentioned there the mood of the nation. Sharon, um, I'm struck that this is in the context of a housing crisis in the country and uh, in the context of a cost of living crisis as well. Yes. Um, and that people are, as a result, feeling that there's a an awful lot of pressure on services. Do you think that's what's happening? Or do you, do you believe that there's a change in attitude, like we've reached a turning point in our welcome for refugees and for those who are seeking shelter? I think we have, and I have to say, first of all, thank you for having me on tonight. Um, I've been elected about uh, three years now. This is my first time to be on your programme, so thank you for having me on. I think it was very brave of the Business Post to run the poll the weekend. Um, it certainly has gone against the government narrative in relation to how people are feeling on the ground. Um, if you listen to the government, you would think there was absolutely no problem with any of these communities. And um, the poll reflects a total different attitude. And you have to thank the people of Ireland for their solidarity that they've shown to the refugee crisis over the last 12 months. But in March of this year, we hit a whole new environment. The, the, the system is completely broken. It is completely broken. Um, we have now got 20,000 people in direct provision centres. We have over 50,000 people in hotels at this moment in time. And then we have got another 56,000 people our families that are waiting on social housing there as well. Not to mention our working people, the, the guards and the nurses that are out there chasing housing as well, affordable housing. So the system is not performing for the working man and people are very angry now. And they see what's happening. They see that people are being pushed into communities against their will. And against who's against, will? Against the people's will. You know, Ireland. What, what, Ireland. Who, Ireland who is are a, you talking specifically about, Sharon? Ireland is a very tolerant nation, and I think that tolerance. I think we all remember that um, scene of that young child eating off a cardboard box in 2018, uh, with regard to our homeless children in in this country. And we, eat, over the last couple of months, 
We've all seen those scenes of tented villages, tents outside uh, Mount Street. Um, nobody wants to see anybody in this country in a tent. No Irish person wants to see our own in a tent, nor indeed those that are coming from abroad in the, uh, abroad in the in tents. We, that a, is, so Ireland is better than that. In your view, it, it, it's across the board. You don't want to see, you know, you don't want to see people in emergency accommodation. You don't want to see Irish people in tents, nor those who are seeking asylum from Abs other countries We're better than tents. that. I mean, we're so, the richest well, economy well, in Europe. And yet we are putting people into industrial estates. That is wrong. That is not, we're better than that. So we really need to look at the situation at this moment in time. Let's sit back from it. Let's look at it. Let's see what we've done good. And let's see where we need to make changes. But definitely the system at this moment in time is not working for the people of Ireland. We do not want to see tents on our streets. Uh, Terry, would you concur with that, that the system right now um, is not working? And, and what do you take from the findings of that poll about public sentiment I'm always wary of cosmic judgments about systems not working. Um, the fact is that we've had an unprecedented influx of people, 100,000 in a short, we've never had anything like that before. And the great thing is that for the majority of those coming, for example, from Ukraine, a narrative built up that everybody related to. We saw the invasion, we saw the damage, we saw women particularly, but not exclusively, families, children arriving. And then we saw communities embracing them. And schools where kids from Ukraine didn't mm. just survive, they succeeded and we were proud of that. We are not as proud. I passed this morning the line of tents outside the government building where, where they're processing. And I didn't see one face. Now, if you think about it, we've seen Ukraine families, we've seen so, individuals, we've seen them profiled. We know them. Terry, are we you saying there's, there's a difference them. in government approach? There's a difference in handling depending on where people are coming from. You're saying when it was Ukraine, it was families, they were fleeing a war situation, there were children who were going to local schools. But when you're talking about the issue of asylum seekers, we, we, we keep hearing about unvetted male migrants and that the narrative that's being put out there is different. We shouldn't be hearing that because first of all, many of the Ukrainians had Ukrainian relatives living in Ireland and their, their path, their story, the vetting, was much easier to do. We have people coming from war zones, from starvation, and they are being demonized simply because their story is more difficult to track. Yeah, okay, Shouldn't well, let, well let's um, get Lucky Kambule in on this. Lucky, um, speaking to you as somebody um, who is an asylum seeker, came to Ireland, do you think there's a, a, changing, a changing view of asylum seekers coming here? Um, do you sense a change in, 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 in the mood of the nation? There is a change. And that change is created by the way that uh, the, the treatment of people that came here, especially over a year ago, uh, the emergency and the agency of, uh, of, of the way that the government treated the other uh, refugees that are coming from Ukraine and uh, putting aside the other refugees that are, or the asylum seekers or the international protection applicants uh, 
that are coming from other countries. And what we see now is something that was created then. It's uh, it's it's uh, we 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 can we can see the 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 way that uh, there is an element of the far right that is that is pushing its narrative, and we are not we are not really uh, making uh, it easy. Also, from the narrative that comes from the government and the steps that keep coming mm -hmm. to justify the, the 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 actions that are taken by the far, by the far right. We see people that are sleeping in the, in the streets for more than three months, and uh, we have seen court cases uh, that condemn the act of government. And we, we, we understand and see the fact that there is a huge number of people that came in. But in terms of equal treatment, we would have loved to see equal treatment of people uh, who are coming here for, to seek protection, mm -hmm. that they can be afforded. At, at least the minimum, a place for them to 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 stay, okay. and uh, and the, also, I, I'm hearing about the the pushbacks from the communities. We're forgetting that about the the the, the welcoming community uh, communities in these areas where there are okay. protests. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who are welcoming uh, refugees. We need to talk about that. So and it is not reflected in the okay. conversations. Right. A lot of, community, of communities are actually act, uh, uh, welcoming, and yep. they say, "We welcome you, and come and then okay. sh and let's that, share together." And, that, and that's and what that, we want. To the see protests happen. that we are seeing um, are small communities that get a lot of attention. Um, lucky, um, and Martin, your view on that, and what Sharon had to say about this poll is indicative of a system that is now broken, that is not working for anyone? The system is not broken. The system certainly is challenged and is facing many challenges. Uh, but if you think of it, Claire, mm. in 2019, uh, this country had 5,000 uh, people seeking sanctuary. Uh, last year, we hit in excess of 85,000. Mm. But the not with, notwithstanding, Martin, all the, the, the pressures that are there, is the fact that we had at one point up to 500 people with no accommodation who'd arrived into this country and were, 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 were sleeping rough and had nowhere to stay indicative that this system is, is the, not the, working, no, the, it's the, not functioning, the system that was, people are intense outside the, public buildings. No, if the system was not working, uh, 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 there'd be thousands of people on the streets. The, the reality is, uh, that there's 80 to 90,000 people that have shelter and okay. accommodation. Because we're talking uh, about but, a few hundred yeah, then. But, but, the, you, but, the, but the point is... That you don't think uh, that it's uh, indicative no, no, of a broken sure, system. The point is that at the start of two weeks ago, at the start of the week, there was 580 people uh, sleeping in the streets. By the end of that week, 290 of them had got accommodation. Mm -hmm. uh, there's about 100 people a day presenting between Ukrainians and people seeking uh, international protection. There's about 100 people a day, which <coughs> works out at about 700 a week. Um, you know, the, the numbers that are coming, uh, a lot of them are being accommodated. And there's no doubt about it, the system is challenged. And, you know, I'm not surprised uh, at the results of the poll, because if you were to put it to people, uh, do we have too many? Uh, in that kind of, uh, if you like, arbitrary way, 
uh, you most likely will get that result when people look at their televisions mm -hmm. and see people uh, in tents. But there's every community, the length and breadth of the country. Uh, there are people staying in private houses, okay. uh, part of the Ukrainian uh, programme. There are people staying yeah. in hotels. I mean, I suppose, look, look in defence of the, of, the, of the poll, the question was yeah. asked. It was, and, uh, and, and, and The question correctly, was asked, and correctly did, so. did people agree with the statement that the number of refugees Ireland is taking in is now... Um, too but many. I'll they questioned it, people and 75% said yes on yeah, that. Yeah, but I'll put it like this, Chair. This morning, when I went to get my coffee, I was served by a Ukrainian. Over the weekend, when I went out to have lunch, I was served by a Ukrainian. These people are beginning to integrate into our society. Mm. They're working. Uh, their children are going to Sharon, school. That is all I'd like to get that is all that Sharon and back that is in. very well. And, uh, look, and we welcome people to come to this country. We mm. welcome people to, to, to be active citizens within our country. That is what we want. We want them to come and participate and be uh, good citizens of our country. We welcome that. However, there should be not one person in a tent okay. in Dublin so, tonight because there are universities, there's college, uh, college accommodation that is becoming available now. Take them off the streets. We do not want to see people no. Do you not think that the government are scrambling to do that, to find that accommodation, I, to take people off the streets? Well, I don't know if they are. I mean, there, I, mean I met well, Minister Gorman last week. I can and I asked him, had he spoken to the religious leaders of our country? Had he spoken to the, the Catholic Church? Had he spoken to the Church of Ireland? Had he spoken to the Muslim faith, the Hindu faith? All of the various faith le leaders in this country to see what they can do. Claire, what they can do, because the, right. at the end of the day, this, this is, is this is not. It shouldn't just be a government a government issue to solve. It should be a society issue to solve. Claire, to this solve. Is, this and I think we all need we all need yeah. to put our shoulder to the wheel and see how we can. So, solve. But saying leaving it to the government is yeah. not going to work. They failed the country very badly. So the eighty thousand people that have been accommodated is a failure. I would consider there that is, a success. That, actually, it's, that is a temporary um, but, fix, but, but and the, you but, know but, it, Mark. But the, the question, Sharon, do you think we should close our doors now and not accept anyone else? What, what, what I'm saying because is because that's the tenor of what you're saying. Yeah, well, what I'm saying. So we be have, honest about it. We, we have it. we have a duty uh, to our international protection, and Lucky has has has, has spoken about that. Earlier. We have a legal we obligation. We do have a we have a legal obligation and a moral uh, obligation. Yes, I, I am well yeah. aware of that, but. We have limited resources. We have no housing. We have no housing yeah. for our Danny, own. We have no housing okay. for anybody. And that is the problem, Danny, Martin. Just to bring, you've got to face that Danny, reality. To bring, to bring you back in on this, there's, you know, there is a legal uh, duty under international obligations to provide shelter. Is it about our, our handling of that legal duty? Uh, you know, what we are doing around that. We did have you know, the Commissioner for Human Rights at a European level writing to government, mm. warning them that if you have people in tents on the street, this leads to anti-refugee sentiment. And, and that's how it plays out with the public. That's exactly that's exactly the point I was making earlier on. But again, you know, Martin talks to, to the efforts that that government have made over the last 18 months or so. Since in real the, time, Danny. Martin, I, listen, let, let me just make my point. I didn't interrupt you now. For, uh, just just give, me, give me a sec. Um... You know, when you see cabinet rows or rows of cabinet two weeks ago, when Roderick O'Gorman is essentially pleading with his cabinet colleagues to kind of put their shoulder to the wheel because essentially he feels that they are dumped this issue, so to speak, on him and his department, which is, are not uh, equipped to deal with the scale of this challenge, that cuts to the core. <clears throat> of a dysfunction within the heart of government. If you know, if we are going to honour the obligations that we have to do, then it needs a much greater level of effort. We have state buildings, OPW buildings, HSE buildings, um, voided units that have been have been remained unused and neglected and derelict for, for years, long before the, the Ukraine issue ever came. 
you know, when you see it in the context of where we are now and the scrambling to, you know, and even the, the issue of flotels coming on uh, on the agenda, ridiculous. this is ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. This is ridiculous stuff. This is stuff that should not never have happened. There are there are enough vacant units in this in this country to more than deal with the capacity that we have if the state actually got its act together. But you have these sort of internecine kind of rows between Fianna Fallers and Green Party ministers at Cabinet because it's not a, it's not in my bailiwick, it's not my responsibility. Like this A hands-off approach a hands when it comes to all of this. You know, just talking about it, and we are speaking about it tonight, but Terry, I'm kind of struck by immigration becoming a new key issue, a new political issue now that may play into the election and how that plays out because we've had a lot of, you know, I suppose it, it would be that cross-party consensus or view across the board that, you know, we, we can't have, you know, a, a cap on refugees, that we are doing our best in this situation. Um, do you think in that, I suppose there is a political vacuum there essentially where public sentiment may appear at odds with what the political parties are saying, that that, that that may be filled by another party or another movement coming to the fore? I think there's two things here. One is the fact that it is all so new. Irish people are actually lousy at change. They, they get shocked by change and they've been asked to accommodate an enormous amount of change. But the second thing that I disagree Irish... With, I disagree let, with that. Let me finish my point. I disagree with that. The second thing is that... Governments and government parties are liked to the extent that they're seen as competent. Mm. And right now there's a growing sense that there are alternatives that aren't being fully addressed by this government. This is going to be a, an election issue that needs to be sorted before the election mm. happens. Government has to prove competence on this one. Mm. I disagree with Terry in relation to people, the Irish people being afraid of change. I think the Irish people have dug deep over the last 12 months within communities, not only, not only in cities, that. not only I in cities, not only in towns, but in villages. Change. It's when you have... We need to have a more holistic approach to, the, to immigration. What does that mean? It means that the likes of... Let's, let's take Inch, for, for example. The likes of that small rural area where the government have decided to put... 60 or 70 in single men into an area I'm like that. Sorry, I'm just... Sorry, sorry but let's the, just... The let's discussion ju around so, that. So sorry, what, yeah. what, is so, the, what is the issue around what, that? I mean, let's look at that. Transportation. It's in the middle of nowhere. Transportation is... What's issue. that got to Tran do with single men? Sorry. Can, sorry, that's all right for you to say, Terry. But these are... These are I'm these asking are rural, a question, These are rural actually. areas... These are rural areas. What's they have, they, wrong with rural areas coping with men? Well, let me tell you. In, in my What's community, in my men? community, in my community, where we have, we have settled over a thousand people, mm -hmm. we ran into issues where we couldn't even get a school bus for seventeen children from <laughs> September I, of last great year. Point. From Nothing September to do with last year men. until March of this year. So when I'm saying we have are to are they related issues, Sharon? The, of course they are related. How? It is all about the provision of services. If you are putting a, a large cohort of men into any particular area, they're going to take the school bus from school children. No, what I'm saying to you is you've got to make sure you look at what services are around that area for, the, for that particular co cohort, that age group. Is there employment opportunities? What about English classes? What about... I mean, these are all but things there, you need Would to, there need be an issue at. if that was families what about, there? What about would local it be an transportation issue if there were Ukrainian families there? I have no idea whether there'd be an issue, but yes, there would be, because it, it happens in every community. You've got to look at this holistically. I'm, I'm only asking because you said from the outset, single yeah. men. Yeah, but, but they are but what single... What does that mean? Single men. If you put single, what, 70 what single, single men... men which, 
Well, what are they going to do? I don't know. You tell me. You, no, you tell me. You tell me. What, there's 300 well, single... They're seeking there's, asylum. There's, there's 300 single men going into do an area in Santry where people have been uh, literally standing guard okay. for 24 hours. No, please tell me. What, what do you think is the right thing? You've got to acknowledge Claire, there's I, fear. If, I, want if, to let Mark if, if I may, Claire, politicians have a responsibility to show leadership, not to instill fear. Uh, they have a hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Responsibility to reassure people, not scare people. And I want to reassure the Irish people uh, that the government is in control of this issue. The government have made mistakes when it comes to communicating uh, and the dissemination of information. Uh, but the whole notion of profiling individuals because they happen to be men, that's wrong. It can't happen. It shouldn't happen. And we, are, as a country, are far better than that. And we, we've shown it over the last couple of years with the Ukrainian refugees and uh, the people who've come to this country. And I've no doubt that right. the Irish people will show okay. their tolerance mm-hmm. and, and, and their support maybe going be a forward. Mix, we have to leave it there. A better mix. That's exactly I, I, what they should be. I appreciate, um, I appreciate all the viewpoints tonight. We do have to leave that there for, for now. We're out of time on that. But my thanks to Lucky, who joined us, uh, to Martin and to Sharon. Coming up after the break... What's next for ITV's flagship This Morning Show? We look at toxic workplace culture. ITV has insisted it has no plans to scrap this morning the popular daytime show. But the programme has been rocked by scandal in the past week with fresh revelations about former presenter Philip Schofield deepening the crisis in recent days. Well, a little earlier, just before we came on air, I spoke to journalist Ender Brady. I began by asking him about this scandal that has engulfed the show. Yeah, and it's kind of getting worse for him as well, Claire, if I'm honest. So he came out earlier on today on Instagram. So he's put a statement up on his Instagram story. For anyone who's not familiar with that, it'll vanish in 24 hours. So 
Schofield basically is saying, don't believe everything you're hearing from people who have an axe to grind. He's quite aware that he has enemies in the television world. I think, in all honesty, he's referring to Eamon Holmes, um, who I used to work with for 10 years at Sky, and Dan Wooten, who is a Sun journalist who also presents TV shows. I think that's who Schofield is referring to. They've all put the boot in, and it's quite clear there's a lot of animosity there, Claire, really, as well. So Schofield issued his statement saying, don't believe all these people who have an axe to grind. Uh, and basically, Eamon Holmes then came out this evening, and he he's described Schofield as delusional. So it's getting worse. It's getting really kind of scrappy and unpleasant. And I think the best thing now, whoever's advising Schofield, he just needs to take a holiday, get out of the UK, just switch off, turn your phone off, turn social media off and just go away for a while. And Holly Willoughby herself, she also issued a statement also, also on Instagram stories, which, as you say, disappears um, after 24 hours in which she says that, you know, she was lied to in all of this. Yeah, I think she feels aggrieved and very hurt and betrayed because you remember when Schofield came out three years ago, he did so on a sofa, live on TV. She held his hand, she hugged him. She said they'd be friends forever. And I think she feels really betrayed now because there was the incident. His brother is in jail now, serving a 12-year sentence for sexually abusing a boy. Uh, by all accounts, Holly Willoughby was not told that court case was coming and then suddenly Schofield went on annual leave around the time of the court case. So I think she feels badly let down and everything that's come to pass about the affair, I think she asked him to his face what was going on and he denied it. Um, so he's lied to her, he's lied to his wife, he lied to ITV management and the lies just keep piling up. But I think in all honesty, Schofield's career is toast now. It's over, Claire. Um, that might be Schofield's career, but what about um, the way ITV has handled this and the future of the This Morning show? Uh, you know, from their point of view, they've been accused of having a toxic culture, ignoring or managing out whistleblowers. Uh, how are they going to deal with all of this and what does the future hold for that popular daytime show? Well, look, it's still a very, very popular show and he was 50% of it. So they've got a big space to fill. There are reports that about £2 million sterling worth of advertising has gone in the past few weeks because of all of this debacle. So they've got some serious problems to sort out. Look, ITV management have not covered themselves in glory with this. Apparently, there was an investigation. I was working at a different TV channel and I was hearing this three years ago, everything that was going on on their programme. So quite what the managers at ITV were doing and that they didn't know this was going on. Um, very, very odd indeed. So, look, I think Holly Willoughby will keep going. She will be, I would say, she'd be apoplectic if she loses this gig because of Schofield's lies. So she will want to keep her job and keep going. They need to find the right presenter to work with her. And I would imagine, don't be surprised if the next week to 10 days, deputy heads roll at ITV. OK, and Brady, and a thank you for bringing us up to date on that story. We appreciate you joining us tonight. Thanks, Claire. Well, Terry Prone and Danny McConnell have stayed on with me. We're also joined by Managing Director of Robert Walters, uh, recruitment specialist who also deal with uh, all the areas of, of HR, Louise Campbell. Um, you're very welcome along to the programme, Louise. Uh, let's talk about this. Endus Brady says heads will roll uh, at ITV. You know, first of all, from Philip, Schofield's point of view, Terry, it is the ultimate fall for grace for a presenter that has graced, uh, you know, 
screens for decades, really, ever since he was you know, children's presenter, right up through the ranks um, of BBC and then on to ITV. How bad is it when you get caught lying and your former co-host also says that they were lied to? The issue has been turned into lying by Holly Willoughby. The problem about lying is that the management say they were lied to. Holly Willoughby says she was lied to. And nobody seems to have the cop on to realise, oh, I never spotted I was being lied to. What, what has happened here, if I had been advising any part of this, I'd have said to ITV, shut up, don't do anything. I'd have said to Holly Willoughby, shut up, don't do anything. Ditto uh, the, the, the main protagonist. Shouldn't there be no story, Terry? There'd be no story. Yeah. But the problem has been that everybody has yielded to the thing of, we must put out a statement, and every one of them has caused more problems than the original. The, the Daily Mail has been ahead of all of this all of the time. And ITV didn't have the wit to sit down, silence everybody and say, OK, let's get all the facts before we issue all right. anything. OK, but you're talking about silence in a situation where you had a much younger employee and then you had a very powerful host of a very popular uh, programme in a position of power having an affair with a much younger employee. Um, is there, isn't there a problem there? Isn't there maybe a, a culture of cover-up there that that could happen on that programme? There's a and huge problem. And the toxic problem. culture that's yes. now being discussed at the first heart of, of the First of all, show. the thing is that back when this was first revealed, what happened was in 2020, this young man at an awards ceremony announced to everybody from ITV who was there, I love Philip Schofield. Now, that was kind of opening the floodgates. Mm. A month later, Schofield does his teary out-of-the-closet thing on the programme. Mm. Now, hang on a second. What did Holly Willoughby, or why did she not connect the first thing with the second thing? Why did ITV not investigate? They say that they interviewed both sides the young man says he was never interviewed. And the young man at this stage is up to his armpits in lawyers. And this is going to become a major issue mm -hmm. that will require a lot of money coming out of ITV and that has certainly hold the programme below the waterline. Uh, Louise, at, at the, mm. the issue uh, um, at stake here, um, we had Philip Schofield saying, you know, regarding that relationship, it wasn't illegal but it was unwise. Um, how much of a problem does it become when there is a clear power imbalance, and especially here in this, the, the media spotlight with someone who is in such a, posi a position of power on this programme with, with someone, when you start yeah. a workplace relationship with I, them? I think that that's kind of the, the crux of it. I think, you know, relationships happen in work all the time. It's how people meet their partners and there's nothing wrong with it. I think, you know, many organisations will have policies around this to say that if you are in a relationship with a co-worker, you need to inform a HR department. Now, whether people do or don't is another matter. I think it's really prudent if you, if there is a clear imbalance of power in a relationship, if you are in a business, a senior director, a CEO, and a young graduate or an intern comes into your business and you start a relationship with them, there may be nothing untoward about it whatsoever, but you, it's prudent to, to, to let HR know.
Okay, and it is is it a duty to let HR know if you're if you're in that relationship? It may be. It depends on the organisation. Depends on where you are. Depends on what the company policies are. <clears throat> yeah. There are many companies that would say that if you are in such a relationship, let us know, because I mean HR's. I suppose, standpoint on this is they're there to protect the business. They're also there to protect the employee, both employees. Interesting as well that ITV have a whole policy about whistleblowing as well, Danny. And mm. um, and yet we're hearing about a toxic atmosphere that when issues are raised, a former resident doctor on the programme, Ranj Singh, uh, said that, you know, the whole culture went beyond Philip Schofield, um, that when he brought that to the fore, he was managed out. Mm. You see, it goes to the heart of Philip and Holly was this great dynamic. You know, they were the nation's favourite, you know, couple on, on air. Like, you know, they were always giggling and laughing and there was always this kind of, you know, they kind of lived and traded off their bloopers or, you know, kind of, you know, making mistakes on air. And, and millions of people every day watched and tuned into it. So that's a very powerful, you know, potent kind of brand. And, you know, you're not going to let an intern, you know, if you're the cor- thinking of the corporate kind of start tearing that down or, or causing trouble. Like so that's how those sort of people become almost too big to fail. That you know the institution has to be protected. And you've seen it not just in in you've seen it in banking, you see it in politics, you see it everywhere. If if a big star is there, they're buttressed, they're protected by the institution by and large. And you know, people who cause trouble are by and large taken care of or managed yeah, out as we say. You look at what Eamon Holmes has been saying, and I don't know what Eamon... Eamon Holmes clearly has an axe to grind there. Dan Wooten, who seems to just obsess with this stuff on GB News over the last week to, 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 to uh, week or two. You know, there's clearly animosity with Philip Schofield and, you know, like, there's no love there either for Holly Willoughby. She's, you know, being accused of all sorts of, of kind of scheming and kind of, you know, manipulation, etc., like that. But ultimately, I think, you know... Um, you know, you're looking at, as I said, like this morning, Eamon Holmes made a very interesting point. One of the points he did kind of make was interesting. He said, he says, no matter who's in the chair, the numbers stay the same. So people are, it's like RT1 to a certain degree. People are just tuning in and tuning in and tuning in. Whoever's in the in the hot seat, it'll be really interesting to see. I'm fascinated to see what happens to Holly Willoughby. It's inter- I think Brand Holly is severely damaged yeah. in all of this yeah. and whether or not she can come withstand the goings on here because I think it all I think herself and Philip Schofield took a huge hit in terms of credibility and PR after the Queen the, the you know the queue jumping kind of accusations and I don't think they've ever recovered I think she's up to her oxers and all of this and I just think there may be there may come a point where the show if it's to continue with under a new management or a new brand may say it's time for Holly to move on an interesting one there um, Holly about I suppose uh, they came as a pair really and that's how they work together for for so long is whether Holly Willoughby uh, can survive this. We were speaking to Ender Brady earlier. He seemed to say, yes, she can. Um, she was betrayed by Philip Schofield. But is that the way, do you think it, it may play out? I think that Marks and Spencers may be the judge here because Marks and Spencers have invested a lot in Holly Willoughby and in her clothing. And if Marks and Spencer decide, no, this is too squalid and it affects this woman and they say they're out of there, that will change everything. And the one thing that is going to be extraordinarily difficult, if she picks up when she comes back from her two weeks next Monday, how can she be funny and lighthearted and giggly and all of the things that mm-hmm. she was? It's going to be very difficult to maintain the brand 
that sold her in the first place. And if you remember with that issue you were talking about at the Queen's funeral, that the, the public perception was that they jumped the queue mm. and we know how long people were, were queuing around all of that. They gave a very sombre statement on air that was very contrived and awkward. Uh, will she have to do likewise in the next couple of weeks if she comes back to front the programme? Well, we sincerely hope that she doesn't because one of the things that Philip Schofield did on that one was indicate weeping, that he would never have done anything and that he had to ask himself, what would the Queen want me to do? <laughs> now, please, can you imagine anything more mawkish, disgraceful, totally wrong? And she sat there and bought into that. There's going to be a lot of looking backward at moments like that and people saying, well, how complicit was Holly in all of that? Yeah. Uh, Louise, just to talk about, I suppose, what ITV do next and when there, when there are these mm. allegations of toxicity within a workplace, that the whole culture is impacted. When we mm. hear from people who, you know, you will have that former presenter, Philip Schofield, saying they've got their own grudges, they've got their own issues with the programme. Yeah. But when that's out there, is there, is there a coming back from that? There, there is coming back, but it's, I think what they do next is really crucial in terms of addressing the problem. I think somebody needs to take accountability because if I'm looking at this from a, say, a corporate point of view, you need somebody in a business to turn around and say, we missed that. We let that go. We dropped the ball. We're sorry. And sometimes, you know, sitting down and wrapping your arms around your staff and saying, we have really made a mistake here. We've messed up. We realize what you've all been through. We've realized our mistakes. Can we all please get together and talk and, you know, move on from this? and improve and learn from this. And if, if, if people don't do that, you know, the, the people who work in that, in that organization want to feel listened to. This is the whole EDNI, you know, everybody's talking about it. It's on the, the focus of every HR department now, equality, diversion, inclusion. People want to come to work and they want to feel listened to and they want to feel safe and they want to feel as if they have a voice. And I think that's what people will want to feel. And they'll want to feel as if deep changes are made to ensure that that doesn't happen again. Mm. Yeah, and there are people who come out and we've seen presenters come out and they've been contrite and they've talked about, you know, you know, addictions or issues or whatever. They've mm. come through seeking, you know, public forgiveness and they, but I mean, is there a redemption there? Like, is there a road back? Probably not for Philip Schofield, but the question is around the show and around the presenters and, and others on that programme is yeah. whether that brand can survive and whether it comes down to bottom lines, as Terry was saying. It'll come down to the flight of advertisers or not. And if advertisers say we're willing to kind of go in or we demand a certain level of change, mm. then that I think will determine a lot of the actions that will be taken. But if your main sort of your mainstay, you know, like your Tesco's, your Marks and Spencer's, your guys who will advertise with you all through the year and particularly heavy, heavily at Christmas, and they turn around and say, we're not touching you until there's radical change, mm -hmm. that's when you, I think you'll see an awful lot of, you know, heads possibly rolling. I just think, you know, I think let's all eyes on Holly. Let's see if she can survive or not. We'll leave it there. We'll see what happens. You can, of course, catch up on the programme on Virgin Media One. My <laughs> um, right, thanks to Danny and Louise. Lots more after this break, including how to tackle isolation in older people. Do stay with us. Welcome back. Active Retirement Ireland has announced the launch of a new wellbeing programme to combat loneliness and isolation. 
and support older people to become more aware of and prioritise their mental health in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, Terry Prone has stayed on with me. I'm also joined by Head of Policy and Programmes at Active Retirement Ireland, Alison Bow. You're very welcome along, Alison. Um, many of us have moved on now from, from, from lockdown and from COVID-19, but it has had a lasting impact on people's mental health, young and old. Tell us how it's playing out for the older members of, of our community and how the vulnerability is lasting beyond the end of lockdown. Absolutely. And it's, it's not over for a, a huge number mm. of older people in Ireland. We have largely gone back about our daily lives, but the lasting impact of isolation and feelings of anxiety and isolation, social isolation for older people is certainly not going away. We are Ireland's largest membership organisation for older people. We've over 24,000 members and a huge percentage of our membership are reporting that they feel anxious and um, very nervous about re-engaging and re-emerging into society mm -hmm. as it was pre-pandemic. So we've launched this toolkit and it's been funded by Mental Health Ireland. And we're going to be encouraging older people to discuss those anxieties about re-engaging with society. And also it's a peer support programme. So it'll be older people supporting their peers, other older people, and talking about that lived experience and those concerns they've had and how they feel about connecting back in with each other. So how will it happen in, in, a, in a practical way? For somebody, say, who used to be very involved and very actively retired, should they say, as the, the name um, uh, of your organisation suggests, who now doesn't want to leave the house. Is that, is that what you're seeing? And specifically and practically, how, how can you help those people? I suppose it's important to remember as well, for those of us that were all mandated to stay at home, everybody was, everybody was isolated to a degree. For older people, it was almost double isolation because younger people brought their lives online. Mm -hmm. Older people didn't necessarily have the digital skills to do that. So it was forced isolation and then isolation again. So they weren't bringing, you know, they weren't contacting their family and their friends online. So we have to remember that that had a huge impact as well. We will be bringing groups together and the groups will be facilitated by our volunteers who are themselves older people. And it'll be a safe space for older people to talk about their feelings, their mental health, any concerns they may have. And as I say, their lived experience pre, during the pandemic, post-pandemic, and, and give them an opportunity in a safe space to talk about those things. There was research or a medical study recently, Terry, that found that loneliness is, is, is a killer. Like it is up there um, with the link with smoking and heart disease when you see the impact that loneliness can have on somebody's health. It's huge. And it's one of the reasons that, <clears throat> not offending Ali, um, I would believe that people don't need to retire as early as they do and possibly not at all because... All of the research indicates that when you retire, you lose a huge network of people and you also lose a sense of self. Now, it's absolutely possible to help the people who are in that situation, but it's nonetheless desperately damaging for people who may not have a partner, 
whose partner may have died, and in comes this big grey cloud of loneliness. And it wasn't helped during the pandemic by the media portrayal of older people, which was passive and not able to do anything. People arriving with boxes for them. I would regard the pandemic as And this as idea of cocooning damaged. older people as exactly. well. Exactly. It was hugely damaging. But I suppose those who were making those decisions at the time were saying, you know, we just don't want to see you know, our elderly, our older members of the community get sick because of, I suppose, the fatalities. Some of the people who were making the decisions were media people. Media people who were portraying older, old hands on top of a, a, a walking stick. They were portraying older people in a way that I suspect Ali would agree was stereotypical, limiting, distasteful. Mm. Although, interesting that these, the mental health issues that you're talking about, Alison, like that was, that's been before the pandemic as well and before lockdown, maybe exacerbated by all of that. Absolutely. The uh, CSO statistics from 2015 to 2019, we know, so pre-pandemic, we, we know that one in 10 death by suicides was a person over the age of 65. So that's pre-pandemic. If we are to look at the statistics, oh, statistic. it's mm. huge. One in 10 uh, is a person over the age of 65. So no doubt exacerbated mm. the social isolation, the loneliness, the financial hardship, the bereavement, all of those catalysts for poor or worsening mental health will certainly have been impacted by the pandemic. Okay, Alison, best of luck with your campaign. It's great and that, that toolkit is out there to help people. Thanks to all our panel tonight, all our guests. That is it from us. We're out of time. From all the late team here, good night. Do take care. <laughs>